there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. I love kicking off every week with the next guest, and he's here every week to do it. Advanced Medicine Monday, we do some medical rewind together. And his name, Dr. Rashid Bittar, his book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. And boy, oh boy, we don't want to keep you away. Every week I look forward to this. Thanks for being here. Glad to be with you today. Always good to be here too, Robert. Now, there's a lot of interesting stories launching this week. In fact, last week, I've got some holdovers. We'll probably talk a little bit about pink ribbons and uh, pink hand grenades. I don't know what's pink that's going to raise money for breast cancer research into big pharma or whether we can do what you do in your book and actually help people. But that's one of the things I want to talk to you about today. But I thought we'd start with something. You know, we went it went worldwide when we covered the story of Desiree Jennings. That was the Washington Redskins cheerleader who had a flu shot and ended up with all kinds of neurological strange aberrations you you know she went through traditional doctors and hospitals before she came to you for help now we have this finland study that is acknowledging the flu shop uh flu shot link to neurological uh disorders including narcolepsy but it's more than that yeah you know it's uh always amusing when uh, the main stream physicians in the hospitals the traditional research oriented hospitals say that there's no uh, scientific validity to what's being said. That's what uh, essentially the chief of neurological, the chief of the neurological division at Yale University, as well as John Hopkins, said about my treatment of Desiree, that there was no scientific basis for what we had done. There was no uh, evidence in clinical medicine showing that any of the non-traditional, unproven treatments that we did would have any effect whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we know that it did. We saw it did. We saw that we stabilized her in three days, something that she was rapidly deteriorating from. She was going into respiratory failure from her original assault, which was the uh, encephalopathy on board a uh, physiology that couldn't excrete the toxicity of the mercury that she had been exposed to. So she actually had mercury toxicity and a acute viral encephalopathy, and then essentially was taking over her entire neurological system to the point that she was starting to have periods of respiratory arrest where she would become um, hypoxic. She had 15 to 30-second periods where she was turning blue and unable to ventilate because her muscular system was essentially shutting down yeah, I remember it was it was it was horrific and frightening to see this uh, you know this young woman in the, in the prime of her life, uh, very very much into physical fitness as well, struck down by a little injection. Right, yeah. it shows you how just a little bit of something can be very powerful, and in this way, in a toxicological way. And it may not have been the first thing that she had, but it may have been an accumulation of things as well. We're not here to say that it takes only one in some some instances, although sometimes it can. But, I mean, the shocking thing is here, as you said, the, the, the words thrown out are very charged words like unproven, untested. And, of course, when you hear that from those so-called mainstream, uh, you know, it's like a religious fervor surrounding uh, attacks on anything that threatens uh, the existing status quo. 
you know, how can you prove something that they don't look for as well? I mean, oftentimes unproven means, well, we're not even going to look for that because oh, it might exactly. get proven. Exactly. They, they didn't even bother turning those boulders upside down and looking underneath those rocks. So how can they find it? That's absolutely correct. And, and her is- essential issue was that by the time she got to us, you know, her system was shutting down. She was spiraling down. She was getting ready to go into multi-system organ failure, which essentially is something you see traditionally in trauma patients. But this was a type of a multi-system organ failure where her respiratory system was starting to shut down. Her neurological system was already impaired. Her muscular system was already being taxed. She already couldn't walk. And then, you know, the ventilatory muscles were starting to be infected. So uh, you're absolutely right. It's one of those issues that you you can't say that from from the stance that they took you can't say that it's not this or it's not that or this is unproven when you haven't even bothered opening up that door to see what's behind that door right right which is well the stunning thing that any mainstream researcher even in finland of all places that would find oh well there's a conclusive link here between one of these vaccines and neurological damage and I think that what the Finnish government did is the whole issue that the U.S. government doesn't want to do because the Finnish government has accepted the responsibility to pay for the lifetime medical care for those 79 children. But, you know, Finland is a much smaller country than the United States. And also the United States has been the culprit that's actually spread the issue of this, the vaccinations throughout the third world country. So You're right. not only have we done something to our own country, we've done something to many other countries. And so that's, I think, the, the, the actual key here, that they don't want to admit the issue which I believe that in the higher echelons, they already know. In fact, we know that they already know from the sure. Simpsonwood you know, uh, transcripts that we have. We know that they know what the issues are, and they also know what the truth is. But they can't admit that because if they did admit it, then they have to take liability. And by taking the liability, right. it, it, you know, it, it, already the economic burden that the United States is dealing with, I mean, that would basically be the end of what we know. I mean, there's no way they could financially do that. $8.3 million per child that has autism uh, over the lifetime of the child, which includes the loss of revenue from the parents, the medical care, loss of productivity of the child when he grows up, et cetera, et cetera. That's what it's been estimated, $8.3 million loss of economic potential to earn and, and, and the, the burden on the economy. Right. And one out of 70 children now, one out of 69 children now has autism. So you do the math. Hmm. You know, it makes our current deficit look like chump change. Well, and you're right, though, that the CDC, for instance, has been uh, incredibly complicit, not just in the damage domestically in the United States, but worldwide, because so many of these other governments look to the CDC as if they, you know, what they say is gospel. And they've been duped just as any of us here in this country have been duped. I'm surprised that, uh, the, you know, the Finnish government doesn't come at, after, you know, the CDC and the United States government to say, hey, you guys are partly responsible for this. We want some money. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I think that's, that's the reason that a small government like Finland would accept the responsibility and why the U.S. government will never accept the responsibility, never acknowledge it. In fact, they can't even give credence to anybody who talks about this subject matter it's got to have a blanket media white you know blackout type situation well last uh last friday i believe i talked with tim boland who you know as well he's a real bulldog when it comes to health freedom issues and taking on the bad guys and he's now you know uncovering a lot of these things going back beyond even the simpsonwood issue which, which we've discussed uh that the cdc in fact did know everything about the dangers of vaccination and the mercury in it um, long before 
and basically, as we know, did nothing. But now more and more evidence is is being released about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that uh, if you go back to some of the other issues that Tim's uncovered, it's interesting all the things that he's found. And uh, I think he called himself a health. Uh, he called himself a crisis manager. Is that right? Yeah, you crisis management will come in and, and and manage a situation that seems unmanageable. And, right. You know, remember when they attacked uh, little Holda Clark of all people, and oh, yeah. how he helped defend her, and, and you know, not as a legal. Uh, what we call lawyer, but as someone who strategizes and works with everybody, and he's he's had a lot of success over the years, and you know he really fights for right when he sees injustice. He's like, no, nothing you can do to sway me from from uh, seeking that justice, and uh, he's the worst nightmare of these of these so called quackbusters. Now yeah. he's finding out a number of these quackbusters are really bizarre. I mean, literally, they're like they're child molesters and everything. I mean, it explains so much of the psyche of someone who would attack. You know, basically people who all they're trying to do are help people to get well and heal. Mm-hmm. And, and and what kind of person would attack these people, you know, with the viciousness as the quackbusters have done over the years? Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. And in fact, in our in, in my particular situation with the medical board, um, we actually found that smoking gun. The connection went right back from the medical uh, board's chief prosecuting attorney to uh, the head of the quackbusters um, very very interesting yeah and they're very frightened because they took on this uh, lawsuit against doctors data and they just smeared them with google bombs and different things like that and they're very nervous about uh discovery process so they've got barrett delay begging for delay after delay after delay so that yeah. story we're following as well over at bolandreport.com like i said there are a lot of fronts you know if we if we talk economically dr batar which we have these so-called Wall Street sit-ins. Now, I'm not saying that all of them really get it. A lot of them may be socialists, but but at the same time, they recognize there's a lot of injustice going on. I would rather have them sit in on the Fed because that's really the culprit in creating all the possibilities for Wall Street to screw everybody. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's that's very true. It makes me laugh, and I'm, I don't mean to laugh, but yep, it's true. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, when you hear these things, I we had a great uh, YouTube I had uh, linked up as well, a young man who was very well-read on Austrian economics, and he knew about Ron Paul, and he literally was at the top of his lungs, I mean, with all the passion that he had in the midst of this Wall Street, uh, you know, all this cacophony of everything going on, he's just laying it out. It's the Fed, the Fed, and he, and he laid out monetary policy and everything, and I don't know that anybody really understood but a few around him, but it, the awareness in that realm is growing. It's just like... You know, what we've been dealing with in the medical and holistic health fields is when we talk about going back to the source, when we when you've been screaming toxicity, toxicity, deficiency, deficiency, and, you know, everybody's, you know, out there in the medical field. Well, no, no, we need more money for research. Uh, we need more money to cover insurance. We need socialized. I mean, it's like the lone voices in the wilderness now. They're growing. Mm-hmm. But still, we have to get through a lot of, uh, I would say, drugs and fluoride in the water that's causing people not to be able to see clearly. Yeah, well, that's a that's a problem that we've had. I think it's been progressively and exponentially increasing, even though the awareness is increasing. At the same time, the level of toxicity is also increasing. So it's almost like yeah. a parallel course. And at some point, they have to diverge. But it's interesting that phenomenon that you know we've talked about that last struggle, the, mm-hmm. the desperation, the death throes, the death throes, exactly. Yeah. You know that are, that are occurring in that industry that has helped to create this illusion and try to paint this uh, image in front of people's minds that a drug is the right therapeutic modality and that 
um, if you're having a problem with your health, you know, that means that you've got a deficiency of some type of a drug as opposed to just doing simple things that anybody can do that they don't even need a doctor for to help themselves get better. And this illusion is slowly starting to dissipate. It's almost like in Star Trek, you know, the Matrix, whatever they've got, the hologram. <laughs> yes. It's starting to have little electrical um, glitches and things. Exactly. <laughs> Disturbances to, that, yeah, yeah. that let the, somebody know that, wait a second, what I'm seeing is not real. Uh-huh. It's, it's, a, it's an illusion. It's, it's a figment of my imagination, of my own mind, or it's a figment that's been created to, to deceive me. And so I think it's, it's an interesting phenomenon that death struggle increases – um, but awareness is increasing at the same time, and toxicity is increasing too. I mean, the more we know about it, the more the more toxicity there is right now. There's more mercury everywhere. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, where yeah. you know, of course, we know that it's still in the vaccines. Although they tell people it's not in the vaccines, we know that it's uh, within the amalgams, dental amalgams. Even though that most people, when you talk to them, they think, "Oh, well, they don't use that anymore in dentistry." Well, of course they do, but they yeah. don't. They don't call it mercury, so that's one reason people don't know that. Now they've got it in freaking light bulbs, and you know, it's everywhere. It's just yeah, I know. Uh, you know the the, the bizarre irony of this is that the environmentals, the environmentalists, they, again, they might have their, uh, their heart in the right place, right? The good intentions, but they are so easily duped because they're not grounded in you know basic sciences that they say, oh well, all right, we can burn less as we call them fossil fuels if we can only put loads of mercury in the bulb. But they didn't tell them about the mercury until after the fact. But hey, they're happy it burns less, whatever. And at the same time, you break a bulb, now the hazmat teams come out. I mean, it, it's disastrous the way that the environmentalists are not thinking all the way through these things. You know, I've also been really amused with the green energy movement because they talk about the importance of renewable energy, which obviously, you know, Robert, that's my other life. It's something yes, that's yes. very, very uh, heavily vested in from a research standpoint, from a from just many different aspects and have been involved with it. And it's actually growing at an exponential rate for me personally and, and some of the things that I'm involved with. But what's really interesting to note is that solar energy, for example, the, the renewability of solar energy, when you think about it, sure, it makes sense to do it, but the amount of money that it costs to produce a solar panel, mm-hmm. and I believe it's changing now, the, the, the curve is changing, but the amount of money it costs to produce a solar panel is, it takes like something like 17 years to, operating, yeah, you know, to really you make it back. Investment. Yeah, it, it is. Now, uh, we would we would also say it's probably partly due to the fact that there are so many subsidies for other energy sources like nuclear and even the oil industry. People think that's a free market. It is not. It didn't come about by free market uh, anything in many ways. So much subsidies and infrastructure were built on the backs of the taxpayer. We'll talk more about this. Fa- always fascinating discussion with Dr. Rashi Bittar. We've got lots of healing to go with Dr. Bittar after this. sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. We were just talking about energy, Dr. Vitar, and of course you, you're working with uh, on the Holden technologies as well and looking to be part of the solution in terms of, of uh, let's say, moving into new energy sources, uh, which is very exciting to me because it's like when you, t- when you talk about healing in the realm and the innovations that you've done for many years, it, it's hard to contain yourself in just a one area because you've got all of these things and you've got to keep moving forward and in this way helping people uh, uh, move forward. But, I, you know, I mentioned this idea 
of if there were, I guess I sort of hinted at this level playing field. This is a theoretical level playing field where nobody had an advantage. It's just that there was a free market for energy, for instance. In that way, we could see innovation come out. But we've also heard throughout history advancements in energy, whether it goes back to Tesla or otherwise, had often been shelved or purchased and then shelved or the people that developed them suddenly disappeared because of the threat to the existing power structure on planet Earth. How do you see yourself interacting in that realm? Well, it's going to be hard for me to disappear because I think I've been the, <laughs> the big mouth. It's hard to get rid of a big mouth, I think. But, you know, it's interesting, too, that you're saying that Royal Rife was one of the first people that had come up with such a significant innovation that the president of the American Medical Association at that time, uh, I don't remember what his first name was. His last name was Fisher, Dr. Fisher. Or is it Fishbein? Uh, after- Oh, Fishline. That's right. I'm sorry. Yep. Excuse me. That's all right. Fishby, yeah. I remember. Yeah. He basically was so enthralled with the innovation that Rife had come up with, and which everybody keeps on talking about the Rife machine or the Rife uh, tube. It was actually a microscope, and you could actually see these pre. Uh, pre I don't even know what, to, what the term was that Rife used now to describe them, but I think they called them pleomorphic or pre pleomorphic. Uh, life forms. They were so small that even an electron microscope, current day electron microscope, would have a hard time viewing these uh, substances or these these life forms. And uh, there's only one microscope left, from what I understand. It's in a British Museum somewhere, and it's unfortunately broken. But um, regardless, the president of the AMA wanted to purchase the technology, wanted to go into partnership with the Royal Rife, and um, Dr. Rife decided that he did not want to do that. And this is when the uh, Fishburn, right? Is that what you said? Fishbine, yeah. Fishbine, right. Fishbine uh, decided that if he couldn't be involved with it, that he would make it his life mission to destroy ruin, it. Yeah. Yeah, destroy a rural rife, and that's exactly what he did. And so I think there's a lot of – historically, when you look at it, there's a lot of precedent that's been set in this type of um, behavior uh, to, to do this to people that have got innovation. But um, I had an interesting story that – I'll share with you real quick. Sure. My wife um, had been traveling, and the church that she goes to, uh, actually some of my nursing staff go to the same church, and the minister had called because he hadn't seen my wife in a couple of weeks. I answered the phone, and we started talking, and he said, listen, Dr. Vitar, uh, I just wanted you to know that I'm praying for you. This is when in, when the medical board issue was going on. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Yeah, this yeah. was quite a profound little uh, interaction. Right, yeah, exactly. So he, long and the short of it was... He told me that, he says, as he was hanging up, he said, I just don't know why people would do this. People that know you know you know what type of person you are, and I don't know why somebody would would accuse you of this type of uh, behavior, and this is just, you know, really bad, and, and I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And I said, well, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. And he said, not that big of a deal. <laughs> How can you say that? And I said, well, you know, at least nobody's trying to put me up on a cross. You know, I'm, uh, the last person that I – the, the one of the big people that were one of the previous people that have been persecuted, you know, they threw him up on a cross. At least nobody's tried to throw me up on a cross. And he just was so tickled with that and laughed and, and um, you know, told me that he wished that other people that were having adversity in their life would remember mm-hmm. the same thing because he thought that was that was a key that if you can laugh at your adversity. Yes. And, um, but I think there's so many people that are sick, so many people that are toxic, so many people that have been in this situation of adversity i mean for us if we have some type of an adversity that's financial or legal or right you know, having to deal with the medical board i see that as such a minute uh, issue compared to some of the big issues that people are dealing with fighting for their lives and um i think that in time as more and more people start to 
become aware as you are doing so much to help that awareness increase, as people become more empowered with that information and as the people become have those tools to understand, you know, Internet's been a great advent for getting this information out there and yes. spread the truth. But as this happens, the, the situation that we're currently in worldwide mm-hmm. is inevitable. It's that Herxheimer's response, and yes. that's what's yes. exciting. Yeah, you know, and, and I think we ha- we have, and you and I feel this, uh, we have an obligation to make some positive change here because we have the ability to do so. And that we get to come together, you know, at least once a week to do that. It really ramps up this message. The energy just travels out to the universe. And, of course, we talk in terms of energy. Uh, it's not foreign to us. We utilize as well homeopathic medicine and other energy fields and understand all, all life has different varying energy fields. There was a story that came out last Thursday that said basically raw organic foods have stronger energy field than cooked or pasteurized conventional foods. And I thought for this to be published anywhere is stunning. But, of course, this is part of the new media of which we are an integral part. We are literally now out creating the old media and going to cover stories that could never be covered. And we're forcing the old media's hand. They're going to have to acknowledge that this world exists. We don't care whether they do or not. We're doing it. But they're going to be forced to because people are coming to hear us now. Did you say that this was covered in in traditional media? Well, there there have been uh, slight references to it, but they still are not getting it. But the point is, here, every time we make these leaps, whether it be on this radio show, whether it be in Natural News or you know these other new outlets for media, now there's an alternativenews.com making links, people are now also through social media, right? Once we do a story like this, or I'll tweet out, Dr. Batar is coming on Robert Scott Bell, suddenly you see it go out through the... You know, through Facebook, through Twitter, and so everybody now has this new means of outreach that never before existed. So the transference of that very energy is no longer limited into the constructs of those who would control the thought forms the same way. Uh, Absolutely, I, I totally agree with you. But the story itself, though, that you just mentioned about the yeah. increase in energy with the organic foods, was that something that was covered in uh, natural news or, or you're talking about in a conventional media well no this is this is uh there were reference points not totally in the way the article was covered uh in natural news but think about this remember we covered a story a while back i think this was uh, out of johns hopkins where they saw the energy field they videotaped the energy field of a tadpole converting into a frog Mm -hmm. and the energy field of the face was there prior to the actual molecules you know forming into that that energy field. So in that way, we're seeing things that never before. And that was a happy accident because they didn't intend to. She kind of just left the camera on. So I see these divine interventions, for oh, sure. lack of a better way of saying it, that the old media, the old constructs and thought forms are crumbling whether they want them to or not. Because not because we're sitting on our, th- you know, our twiddling or whatever. We're actually taking part in it as well. Well, Al, you know, Fritz, Albert Fritz Pop, who won a Nobel Peace Prize, if I recall correctly, uh, for his work, talked about the the energetics uh, of life uh, or life source nutrients as opposed to uh, sources of nutrients that aren't live. For instance, minerals. So if you took live source minerals, minerals that came from a plant source, for instance, as opposed to something that came from non-plant source, like a like a mineral deposit or such, uh, there was a marked difference in the photovoltaic value of those. Um, minerals. They, I think it was some. The term that they used was uh, biophotonic. Yes, yes. And it's a, it's very interesting the correlations that's been made with some of these uh, energies that have been measured. And of course, we know that looking at Kirlian photography, the image of a 
taken off a leaf, for instance. When it's there, then you cut the leaf in half and you take the half the leaf away. So now you only have half the leaf, but then when you take the image with the curling photograph, you still see the energy pattern of the remainder part of the leaf. Or right, you take a right. person who's had an amputation and you do the same thing. You still see the image of the appended uh, limb still right, right. there. Even the limb is gone. Yeah, exactly. Um, so certain components of that measure energy, I mean, this has been around for a long time. So it's interesting that, you know, when you mentioned that, that's one reason I was asking whether it was a, a regular uh, traditional source of media, whether it was one of these more um, informative truth-type sources of media that you're talking about, like with the natural news or, or this alternative what did you call alternative? Alternativenews.com. Yeah, they're beginning to link. Like, you know how the Drudge Report was doing a lot to transform the media to cover kind of new sources that weren't traditionally covered. Now it's the next extension to really take it out into the health and political and economic and, you know, energy realm to start covering stories. And, you know, instead of looking for the old media to legitimize these stories, we are now the stories themselves right. and we're bypassing it. I, I found it interesting this past weekend that Ron Paul was at the Values uh, Voter Summit. And he usually is traditionally fared not so well there because, of course, he has libertarian uh, principles, liberty is this is this foundational point, which he argues very well is that these are conservative principles as well, mm-hmm. and, and yet many in the in the so called values voters, the conservative Christian groups, have not perceived the let's say the value in individual liberty in some ways because they've utilized government to impose their will in certain ways where they think morality is at stake. Uh, but we talk about, for instance, the use of plant medicinals. God created the plants, and suddenly the government comes by to outlaw the plants, but yeah. <laughs> synthesizes the plants, makes them dangerous, toxic, and deadly, and somehow that's okay. That's legitimate. Or we've talked about the warfare complex. We'll go after people who we say are a threat, like oh, we talked about Obama going after, hey, you know, okay, he's bad guy, let's just shoot him down, whatever we got to do. And somehow that's okay, and I don't find that to be a life-affirming principle. You, you know, you, there are bad guys on the planet, but you give them a fair trial, and at a trial, you, you know, you come to these conclusions. That's what a civilized society does, but there's some kind of bloodlust. But this time, Ron Paul took first place in this values voter summit wow. poll. Yeah. I didn't know that. No, it was a shock to me. I didn't expect that. And so you think that would have been news, but the only news was about Herman Cain coming in second. They are doing mental gym- gyrations and gymnastics to ignore Ron Paul to pretend he's invisible. Even now, it's becoming so absurd that people are just seeing through it and they're just kind of now laughing at it. It's just so ridiculous. Well, it's uh, it's about time my wife showed me a little a cartoon that uh, had somebody asking uh, God for guidance to provide a to pro- provide a presidential candidate. And I think you and I shared this joke a couple of years back, where the joke was if God really wanted us to have a president, He would have given us a candidate. And so this little cartoon my wife <laughs> yes. showed me uh, had a little caption that said, "I did. I sent you Ron Paul." Didn't yes, I? <laughs> I saw that recently. It was hilarious. And and you know and and you know it's not like we're uh, bestowing some kind of supernatural powers on Ron Paul. That's because some people are like, well, what are you guys really saying? It's like no, you know, we're talking about someone who who has principles, who has uh, lived a life of integrity. And, of course, some would say that those are godlike principles. Well, fine, but we're not – he's not a demigod. He's not to be worshipped, nor does he want to be. The boy is – He's the only person who looks at the freaking Constitution. Everybody yeah. seems to have in the Constitution. Yeah, I know. It's been discarded. You know, the old Jay Leno joke. Yeah, I hear that uh, Iraq's writing a new Constitution. Why don't we just give them ours? We're not using it anymore. <laughs> 
You know, that, <laughs> I haven't heard that one. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of stuff we're dealing with here. So, you know, if we if we look at all of these things, I mean, there we come back to the common theme here. You and I talk about this every week, Doctor Vitar. The, the the consciousness, the awareness. Though, if we speak in terms of just awareness merely we know that awareness we're not so naive to think oh it's just about awareness because you know like wear a pink ribbon and suddenly oh good i'm aware of breast cancer how lovely well when your awareness means that you're directing money and research toward more intervention like radiation and chemotherapy and 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 preventive mastectomies removing breast tissue before there's cancer even i mean how aware how is awareness helping there yeah you know it's uh it's Interesting, you brought this up. I just want to point out that uh, I think I told you my patient that's on Medical Rewind, she's one of my first patients that we did a video. She had stage four breast cancer. She was the oncological nurse that had the um, uh, breast cancer. She had chemo radiation, failed it mm-hmm. when they found it. Uh, but she went into remission five years later, four years later, it came back. But then when they found it, it had already spread to various parts of her body, including her spine and her scalp and liver, spleen, lungs, everywhere. Yes. And uh, anyway, the interesting thing is she just came back to the clinic a couple of weeks ago, found out that you know she, the cancer had recurred. She hasn't had treatments in about five years, but she's she just came to the clinic and we started some things with her and already she's gained five pounds. She's already defied the odds that were given to her from hospice yes it was interesting that she told me and the only reason i bring this up is because we're going to have a new video with all those different sequels previous sequels first and then we're going to show the the current videos on top of that to kind of show what's really possible this is a woman that had been given three to six months left to live oh that's yeah or three to five months left to live and that was back in 2002 and uh, so we've got her throughout her last almost decade of her life on video showing what she went through and she says that she told me this recent video that we just shot. You love it because she says, "When my do- doctor told me that my cancer recurred, yes, he told me he only gave me two options. Um, he said, well, we can um, we can give you radiation or hospice.'" And she was like, "Give me hospice. I want hospice." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. and this was a, this was an oncological nurse, right? So yes. it, it's actually pretty pretty impressive to hear somebody with that yes. somebody who knows the system. She did oncological nursing for over forty years. And uh, so she really knows the system, and right. she said there's no way I'm going to be a victim of that system. Nice. Well, let's take a break here. I want to talk more about this, uh, perhaps a little more detail about some breast cancer therapy. Maybe we'll even talk about Stephen Jobs' recent passing as well. I know Nick Gonzalez had some things to say about it recently. So we've got lots more healing to do on the Robert Scott Bell Show, special edition as we do every week here, the Medical Rewind with Dr. Batar. It's Advanced Medicine Monday. Coming right back. The Robert Scott Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. From energy to awareness to where else do we go? Cancer, recovering from breast cancer. You have so many people coming to you for help that... And you're helping them, and they're 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 speaking out, and so the the uh, information is 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 going well beyond even what we do here on the radio every week as well, which is really exciting to hear. But if we talk about the issue of breast cancer, maybe we can go into some more details on that. Also, the big death uh, this last week that seems to have impacted a lot of people. That are, you know, we have our Apple uh, uh, Apple Macs and different things, and I tell you, Steve Jobs is a, a, a definitely a guy who did change the planet in many ways for the better. Uh, although the obsession with having the latest and greatest every month is not so healthy, I don't think. But still, the technology brought us very cool. 
But yet, here's a guy who had all the money on planet Earth if he wanted, and he, he chose uh, certain paths that may not have been conducive to him. He would have still been here, in my opinion, had he come to see you or Gonzalez or others that know, know better. Well, it's an interesting – you, I think you've heard this before. It's, in, it's an interesting um, belief system that uh, there's seven degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon, I think it is. Some, some, <laughs> yes, yes, like, six degrees of se- – Kevin, yes, right, yeah, that's basically right. That, the, basically, what they're saying is that if you know somebody and they know somebody, pretty much within seven generations of that, everybody on the planet knows everybody else. And I think it's that, that movie star Kevin Bacon that they say – within seven generations you'll know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that knows Kevin Bacon eventually after the seven generations and um, one of the people that I have done a lot of uh, discussions with from a uh, getting the getting the word out getting the truth out getting the I think you actually talked to Eamon once didn't you yes yeah I did nice nice man right and Eamon had a connection with an individual very close friend of his who was very close with Steve Jobs. And that gentleman talked to Eamon, and so basically that gentleman knew Steve Jobs, and of course Eamon knew me. They had a conversation, and they decided among themselves that they were going to get Steve Jobs to come to me. For whatever reason, though, the gentleman that had talked to Eamon, his, his, basically the words that came back to us were that the, Steve Jobs had all these people that were surrounding him that were trying to give him advice and unfortunately this man could not penetrate through that medical expertise that was surrounding him preventing him from getting actual information he was being inundated with information and unfortunately he did not get the right information but i've seen this happen quite often too even with bill gates and the issue of vaccinations and sending out 80 90 million dollars worth of vaccinations to third world countries and we've talked about how can a man like bill gates be motivated to do something and you know, the question comes up, does he really do this because he thinks he's helping people? Or, uh, or uh, some people have actually said that he's a sinister individual and he's made these types of comments about population control, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Or is he being surrounded by individuals that are giving misinformation? Their entire premise is that sure. they have to uh, – it's almost like job – What's the term that we use? Um, job justification, or they have to justify, justify their own actions? Yeah, yeah. In you order know, to it, have the position of surrounding as a as a sure. position of uh, resource or position of uh, advice, and so they have to basically protect their turf, and they don't want any other information coming because that could jeopardize their position of being the quote authority that this individual hired them for. Right. No, it is. It's an interesting thing to realize that people at that level often they may have an area of expertise like Jobs may, you know, was brilliant in his way. Gates has his own level of brilliance in a certain area, but he may be a complete dunderhead as I would agree in in the terms of immunology and vaccinology and all of these things, but he has people surrounding him that are his so-called loyal trusted servants whatever trying to get through those people that have a bias built in is very difficult so could we give gates the benefit of the doubt that he's not a sinister individual i don't know him personally but certainly i can uh, speak out against what he's done because we know what he's done is not really helping the people like all of that money put toward clean water sanitation hygiene and nutrition would do uh, but at the same time, yeah, that's a good point. I often think in terms of, all right, here you are, Dr. Batar. You're brilliant in, in this. I'm not stroking your ego. I mean, we talk about this in terms of healing. You get it. You do wonderful things. But yet there are other areas of interest you have. Of course, you and I, we both have to rely on experts. We'll ask questions. We'll be open to these things. But I hope that we never get so shielded by people that we can't be approached by those that do have brilliant ideas that may we might not be aware of today. 
Well, from a practical standpoint, I'll tell you, Robert, it's very difficult to even, even though, I mean, comparing Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and their influence and what they've done, right? Uh, even in my small little area of influence, it's difficult, very sure. difficult to be able to talk to everybody that wants to talk to you. Right. And, you know, sometimes it goes through three layers before uh, people actually get access to me. And it, it's not, it's not because we don't want to have access to people. And I'm sure it's the same thing with you. You can't talk to every oh, yeah. Tom, Dick, and Harry that you know calls you. Um, not not that not that you don't want to. Not that not everybody. No, it's a, it's a very it's a very important and good point because people will come with a passion that is a genuine passion, a life's mission, and it may it may not align with you know what you were here to do. Even though we would be uh, very supportive of of their efforts, but for whatever reason. That path doesn't cross in the same way that a person perceives it will, and they could get very angry. Why isn't this person talking about why I want them to talk about? could be as right. simple as a product or a service or something, but there's always that element of it. So take it to that level to the nth degree. And again, yeah, i got to say, well, I'm giving these people a little bit of benefit of the doubt, but we'll still speak out against certain things that we see are injustices. Right. No, exactly. And I, and I agree with that. I, I just think that uh, Steve Jobs' particular situation was something that, I personally have had a lot of success with pancreatic cancer. It's actually one of the one of the simpler things to deal with. It's an easier thing to deal with. It's when I say easier, pancreatic cancer is supposed to be the second most aggressive type of cancer, second uh, secondary only to glioblastoma. Yeah. Has a one year survival of two percent. Has a two year survival of zero percent. Um, the issue with pancreatic cancer that makes it easy for us is that it's as the tumor necrosis. It's easy to expel it because, as a computer is break, uh, as the cancer is breaking down. I'm sorry, I said computer. As the <laughs> cancer is breaking down, yeah, um, the it's easy to eliminate, as opposed to say in the brain when the cancer is breaking down. It, sure, it is it's very difficult to get rid of it. Or in, in yeah. the lungs, you got to cough it up. You know, sure. but if it's in the alimentary tract, it's easier to actually get rid of it. And what's interesting with the pancreatic cancer aspect is. The biggest issue is not so much the pancreatic cancer. It's actually as a pancreatic cancer response or treatment, which the enzyme component that Dr. Gonzalez talks a lot about is actually most significant in pancreatic cancer. In fact, I believe that all cancers have a component of pancreatic insufficiency, and we actually check for this. And if the person does have a pancreatic insufficiency, we put them on enzymes, regardless of where the cancer is, because it needs right, right. the body needs that support off those enzymes to break up the proteolytic cap that protects the cancer from the immune system from from it from recognizing the cancer is being formed but as the cancer starts to erode back in pancreatic cancer specifically it actually the typical um, extension of the cancer goes through the small bowel so as it starts to ex- uh, retract as it starts to dehiss and break down and retract as it comes back out of the bowel wall, yeah. the biggest complication with pancreatic cancer is that it leaves that hole in the small bowel. In other words, it's a perforated viscous, right. which for any individual, healthy individual, is a two, maybe three-day window of survival because after that two or three days, the person will become septic and they'll die. So right, you have right. to go in and close up the bowel, and that's been our biggest challenge, to find a surgeon that's willing to go in and actually resect out that segment or close that segment. This is one of the places where wow. surgery is almost vitally important. In fact, it's, it, it defines death versus life. Well, it's fascinating so, if you've identified this pattern here that there is an appropriate place why we would say, yes, the, the, you know, the advancements in, in surgical science is a valid way 
to save a life, you know, as we've talked oh, about. Without, without a doubt, in this particular case, it's so crucial. But here's the problem. Uh-huh. The caveat is that most surgeons, in fact, every surgeon with the exception of one that I found now, yes. will not operate in a pancreatic cancer patient to do a resection or to close the viscous because their biggest concern is, well, this person's going to die anyway because that's what their belief is since they have pancreatic right. cancer. And they don't want the person to die on the operating table while they're the surgeon because that it ends up as a thing against the surgeon. Right. Or is it, a, again, a liability lawsuit type issue as well? Or is that just secondary to the, I just don't want them dying on the table with me. That look, won't look good for me. It's actually that issue. The, the liability aspect is inherent with all surgeries at all times. But sure. when you take on a person that's already got a stage four diagnosis of a condition that virtually you know is guaranteed that they're going to be dead within one year and right. there's nobody that's ever been alive more than two years supposedly according to the traditional literature right so why it's a, am i going to take this person and operate wow. on them and then be the surgeon that last operated on them or that be the is something that was operating on them when they died that is quite an insight into that because they're so convinced just but based on what it's like the death stick exactly. in the primitive tribes right yes no the, they, exactly the death stick is already pointed at that person there's nothing i i'm, I'm not going near them right exactly. and, and it's amazing to me of all the science right we We've got all the intelligence, the degrees, the light, and, you know, and that death stick still permeates in our culture. Let's, let's take another break so we can extend our, our segment, our final segment today on Advanced Medicine Monday, the Medical Rewind with Dr. Rashid Batar. We'll continue on our discussion of cancer. We'll move into the breast area as well because that's the pink ribbons everywhere. Just I'm getting disgusted by it. i got to let loose on this and give you some, uh, some good information to get you through it. So uh, Dr. Batar will be with me after the break for some more healing on the Robert Scott Bell Show. The information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Get some uh, behind-the-scenes look, as we always do here, to, to medical advances. That's why this is Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashi Bittar here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. And Dr. Bittar, pink ribbons, as I said, pink uh, whatever. I, I'm just getting so disgusted because we know all of those things reach to the Komen race for the cut, which is all about slash, burn, radiate, big pharma, not about real prevention, healing, no mention of thermography for detection, no mention of detoxification, all the things, the liver pathways of elimination, the lymphatic pathways. It's all about taking stuff out. What kind of keen insights can you reveal about breast cancer for my listeners? Well, I'll tell you one thing interesting. You just brought up thermography. Um, I've been a very big proponent of thermography. I don't do thermography in my clinic, but I've always encouraged people to do so. But very interestingly enough, last week I had a new patient that had had thermography, has always had thermography Mm -hmm. for the last probably nine years and had had her most recent thermogram done about three months prior to, or actually uh, about two months prior to, finding a area of her breast that was causing a dimpling, was concerned about it, wasn't painful, went to a doctor, uh, they looked at it, they referred her to an OBGYN who looked at it and immediately sent her to a surgeon who did an ultrasound um, and did also a needle-guided biopsy, and then they ended up doing a uh, mastopexy and a what they called a laser partial mastectomy. I've never heard of that term, partial mastectomy, before. Mm. But I asked her while I was talking to her during the initial consult, um, I said, well, 
what did the what did the thermogram show? And she said, actually, believe it or not, it showed nothing. And I said, when did you go back and get another thermogram done before you had the operation? She said, yes, I actually did. I went back and they compared my thermogram from two months previously that showed nothing to the one that they did after they found the lump and the ultrasound. And interestingly enough, the thermogram showed nothing. Mm. Now, we don't really know if this is really breast cancer or not. Sure. Because the, di- the, the pathology report that came back was unequivocal. They did have in the carcinoma in situ in one area and then in another area they said that it showed lobular and ductal carcinoma uh, characteristics. But it, it wasn't definitive that usually when I see a pathology report, it's very definitive. So, um, you know, at Still least there's some something question. abnormal they're seeing. Yeah. But for whatever reason, the thermogram didn't show it. Um, so, you know, what does this mean? Does this mean the thermograms aren't reliable? Absolutely not, because thermo- thermography has been uh, used for a considerably long period of time and has a, a lot of validity to it. But remember that even the conventional tests are often done numerous times and things don't show up. Right. So um, that that is a side note that I wanted to put out no, there. No, it's a good that, point to consider as well. But, you know, typically you'll see some level of sensitivity of, of uh, temperature, uh, you know, shifts between healthy tissue and diseased tissue that would be picked up. But as always, there's going to be levels of, well, we didn't catch that, although I don't hear that much. It's the first time I've heard that. Uh, again, I don't put it past the first time I've actually heard it, too, believe it or not. Because usually most patients either just get mammography or they get thermography. People don't usually go back and forth. And this lady had been religious on it, and mm. actually thermography had failed. Uh, but this brings up the point that I wanted to make, and that point is this. A study that was done in China a number of years ago showed that there was no change in survival or in earlier diagnosis between mammography, which we know is highly, highly, not only ineffective, but damaging because yes. it causes trauma and exposes you to radiation. Uh, but on top of that, the history of mammography if you go back and look at it and, and how it became this, quote, screening tool during a congressional subcommittee hearing, according to Dr. Stephen Sinatra, and he gave a much more detailed history as to what happened. Uh, during a congressional subcommittee hearing on this issue, the evidence was presented that mammography does not increase survival and has no benefit uh, over just breast self-exams, but the Senate decided to make it a, approve it as a screening tool or whatever the subcommittee was decided to approve right. it as a screening tool because the reason given was that the public needs some type of testing modality to feel that they're secure. Isn't that it's, amazing? It's about, oh, we want them to feel good. And yeah, of course, it's kind of like the, yeah. it's like the, um, the, uh, the TSA you, screening, I think. We want people to feel like they're going to be safe when they're traveling. We'll also give them mammograms before they get onto their planes. Exactly. This China study, though, interestingly enough, showed that if women did breast self-exams, and this was a 19-year retrospective study, so it's not something that they just took a couple of people and did it over a couple of weeks. This was 19 years. Um, It was in the thousands of women. I don't remember exactly how many. I think 8,000 women that did this with. And they found that if a woman did her own self-breast exams, the incidence of the time from the time the lesion developed to the time it was noted, was uh, as good, if not better, with self-exams compared to mammography. And the survival, long-term survival, had no no benefit. In other words, if a person had a mammography or they didn't have a mammography and just checked this breast exam, right. 
once the cancer was diagnosed, there was no change in survival. Now, I'm always a little hesitant when I hear something like that because to me, it's probably the other way around. The people that didn't have mammography actually probably lived longer like we talked about sure. the Russian study. Uh, where they did had lung cancer and breast cancer patients divided them up in two groups. One group they said do whatever you want to do. The other group, I mean, including like smoking, drinking, no lifestyle modifications, nothing. The other group that treated them with the traditional chemo radiation and the people that didn't have no treatment whatsoever, had no intervention, not even lifestyle modification. Robert yeah. lived three and a half, more than three and a half times longer than the people that had chemo and radiation. You know, Doctor Patar, here's what I speculate on this: if Either one of those detection methods, which we would certainly breast self-exam, would be much less invasive and unlikely to cause problems. But Absolutely. If, if, there's if, no trauma. There's yeah. no exposure to radiation. But what I see is if it's directing you to the same allopathic treatment, you know, whatever, however it's discovered, you know, you're going to see outcomes not much different. Now, with thermography, you find and detect abnormalities, temperature differentials years before mammography would ever see anything, that the same thing would be of concern if all you have then is allopathic treatment potential. You're still going down the wrong road. In other words, if we could take that detection earlier and go, oh, lifestyle change, detoxification, that's the difference. You know, if you detect it sooner and and go to the same slash burn and radiate guys, you're not going to do that much better. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, you know. And the difference with self-breast exams, it doesn't cost any money mm-hmm. uh, versus a mammography does. And if you want to spend the money, then you're much better off doing the thermography and yeah. actually, as you said, have a much earlier indication so you can actually do something proactively to to make those changes change before they actually accumulate to finally form that sure. mass that is then diagnosed as a tumor. Because you have to remember, and people sometimes forget this, that when the cancer is diagnosed, it wasn't diggnosed a week after the cancer started or a month after the cancer started. It's usually years, years. after, depending That's on the right. type of cancer. Yeah. If it's colon cancer, it can be 15, 20 years. If it's breast cancer, it's four to five years earlier right. that the changes started. And well, exactly. And that's that's where we're going to have to wrap up today. But fascinating insights and really great tips. And remember, if you're supporting the Pink Ribbon campaigns, they are not promoting anything that we've talked about here today or that we cover every week. This is where the real healing is on Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashi Batar every week on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Dr. Batar, I can't thank you enough for this uh, fascinating and, and, and powerful behind-the-scenes look into this today. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Robert. Yep, and you make what I say at the end of every show all the more true, that the power to heal is yours. Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.